All right, welcome to the Third Down Conversion Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Kahn. For today's episode, I am joined by Casey Phillips, who works for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Does a lot of work with them. Uh, Casey, welcome to the podcast. Uh, I've been trying. I've been trying to get you on for a while now, so it's nice to finally get you in here. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah. So life's changed, obviously. COVID-19, social distancing, um, you know, so each and every time I have a guest on here, I kind of ask them about their life, what they're doing now, how it's different for them. How how has life changed for you? Yeah, so normally I go in uh, basically every day to the Buccaneers facility in normal times, but um, during this, the facility is closed, and uh, I've had to figure out a way to work from home, which, you know, as an on-camera person is a little interesting, so basically I had to uh, build myself a little set and background in my apartment and get me one of those little tripods that can hold your, your phone and stuff. And basically everything I do now is recording uh, either myself on my cell phone or I've started recording Skype interviews with either our players or our writer and um, trying to do as much of our normal content as possible. So, yeah, I mean, considering during the course of this COVID era, we've signed the greatest <laughs> football player of all time. We've launched new uniforms and we have a draft coming up. We've had to get real creative real quick. Yeah, so let's get into that. Tom Brady leaves New England and comes to Tampa Bay. What's been the buzz around Tampa Bay fans? I mean, I know I know plenty of Tampa Bay people with uh, Trevor Sekema, uh, Luke Easterling. So, you know, those guys I kind of have talked to a little bit about. But I'd like to know, like, what's been your perspective of it? How are fans feeling about Tom Brady? I don't know how to describe it other than just pure excitement. I mean, everyone, how how do you not get so fired up that a guy that is the greatest of all time who gets to pick what he wants to do and where he wants to go, not only that you're going to now get a chance to watch him and root for him and to have him influence your entire, you know, organization, but he looked at your team and said, that's where I want to be. I think that's sort of what, um, I've gotten the sense of from a lot of Bucks fans is that, you know, those of us who've been following the team really closely have felt like, and, and you hate to say this, but, you know, you are what your record is, you know, all this stuff, mm-hmm. but we really felt like we weren't, <laughs> you know, that there were so many games that were so close and one little thing here, they're going the other way could have meant a huge difference. And we saw the talent, especially, you know, guys like Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and, OJ o. Howard and Cam Bray, that you know, all these weapons, and, and we just felt like, man, like we are so close. And so to see that we weren't just the only ones recognizing that, that he would look and see all these weapons and all this option and say, yeah, this is a team that I think, you know, has the chance to be a contender, was, was really excited and felt sort of like we all felt validated in understanding that even though our record had not been that great, we are so close to being contenders. Yeah, you know, how different was it as far as when everything was going down and and you get on social media and you see Tom Brady signing his contract from his kitchen? <laughs> yeah, it was a uh, it was a little sad for me personally because normally I uh, when we sign a big free agent, a lot of times I'm even in the room when they're signing. That a lot of times we have them sign in uh, the draft room and. It'll be, you know, me and like our photographer in there. And uh, as soon as they sign, 
you know, our photographer takes the official picture of the signing and everything, and then I get the first sort of one-on-one interview with whatever big name, either a free agent or like a re-signing, like I did this when we re-signed Mike Evans, things like that. So um, for me personally, it was very sad that that was not something that I, you know, got to do in a moment that is one of those, man, like I could have gotten to do this with the greatest of all time. But um, yeah, it's, I mean, it just, we were just so happy that it happened. I mean, there was, there's so much uncertainty around how all this goes of, you know, whether it was physicals or whether it was just getting the contract signed that you, you saw all these other teams where it was potentially weeks even before they could announce a free agent signing. So we were just really happy that it got done in a, in a good, efficient, speedy manner. And all of our, our guys in our front office did a great job with that. Our, our contract guy, Mike, uh, Mike Greenberg did a great job. Um, so yeah, it's just, they, they all were, um, really efficient and awesome at getting it done and, and getting it in a position where we all could get excited and talk about it and it not be just a potential we've heard he's signing kind of thing. Right. Yeah. I remember the days leading up to it. It was like, well, it looks like he's signing in Tampa, but you know, it's not official yet. You know, could he change his mind? Um, you know, cause there was rumors of the chargers being involved, uh, you know, multiple teams, other teams, but uh, it felt like, the Tom Brady to Tampa Bay was a good fit uh, for both teams. Um, obviously, moving on from Jameis Winston. Uh, are you surprised at all that Godwin gave up his number 12? No, not even a little bit. Chris Godwin, I, I cannot express to you what an incredible teammate person he is. That he gets all this credit for his on-the-field play, as he should. He's incredible. But to me, he is potentially even better as a teammate. He is incredibly humble, incredibly hardworking, always wants to do what's best for the team, will do what's right off the field. He has, you know, like a, all this charity work that he does. And um, I, w- I was not even the tiniest bit surprised that he was someone that just would out of respect give it, not demand anything, not ask for anything. That is completely in line with who he is. Yeah, you have to applaud the character that he is. You know, he's a he's a guy that that I've admired from afar. Obviously, not following the Bucks, but you know, I've enjoyed watching him play, and and I'll continue to enjoy watching him play. So this next season, the Buccaneers will be playing with different uniforms again, essentially. But it almost mm-hmm. feels like they're going back to what they wore around the two thousand two, two thousand three, when they won the Super Bowl. Um, what were your thoughts when they announced the the new jerseys for the upcoming season? I was excited. I, I love them. I mean, they look incredible. And to me, yes, of course, they, they go back to the Super Bowl era largely in, in essence, but they did a great job of also keeping some of the elements that people really liked from the most recent jerseys. So mm-hmm. the logo is a lot um, – it, it, we basically kept the same logo that had been updated and was a lot cleaner and um, clearer, bigger, all of that from the Super Bowl logo. So I love that they kept that. They just darkened the the red to the new color red a little bit. Um, and the the shade of pewter isn't quite the same on like the pants and everything, just because Nike doesn't, you know, make that same uh, material anymore. So the, the pewter is, is still a little bit updated and uh, more recent than the Super Bowl era. And I love the new ship logos on the shoulder. So there are definitely still some, some new updated things. And of course, you got to talk about the pewter color rush jersey. I mean, that all pewter is so unique, so different from not only anything the Bucks have ever done, but anything else in the league. And I know our players are really fired up about it. Our fans are really fired up. I get more messages from fans asking when they're going to be able to 
get more of those pewter jerseys because you know that's another thing with corona and all this that some of the yeah. manufacturing you know on the fanatic side is, has, has been a little affected by that so um it may be a little bit later than normal before some of those but I, that alone has told me how excited people are for that pewter jersey is how often i get asked when they're going to get a chance to buy that and i'm like i'm right there with you i can't wait it's going to be great the only thing that i'll say that i'm excited about is they got rid of the creamsicle Oh, you, you weren't a creamsicle person? No, I, I didn't like it. I didn't like how it was incorporated on the jerseys uh, from last season. I was like, oh, my. So, like, when when they um, were announcing or they were, you know, teasing that the new jersey announcements or the, you know, the new uniforms, I was like, please take that orange out, please. And, and then obviously <laughs> well, they, they, still, uh, they kept a little bit of an orange stripe down the side if you look at the white one. So they still left little nods into it because our, I, you know, you you are definitely would be more in the minority, I believe, in, in our fan base. People have a lot of love for the creamsicle, so it's perfect. They kept some nods in there to the creamsicle times, but um, you know, I know a lot of people are hoping that that one helmet rule can maybe go away fairly soon, so that there could be a creamsicle throwback game or two in there. And I just feel like that that would really complete the the full nod to the whole history of the organization and everything. But yeah, I think that. Our fans were incredibly excited to go back to the Super Bowl era. There's just such fond memories in those uniforms that it was good to have that be the, the time you're reminiscing about while also keeping some of the new, clean, you know, very just just clean look that they've been able to update it with recently. So let's talk about Gerald McCoy. I wanted to talk about him real quick. I know that you know him a little bit. From his time in Tampa, now he is he signed with the Dallas Cowboys, and, and we could talk all day about what he brings from the football field. But I want to know what does Gerald McCoy bring the man himself? What is he bringing to the Dallas community? I cannot stress what a good addition I think he will be in terms of off the field and in the locker room. He really is such an incredible leader in words in actions in all of it and he will do so much for the Dallas community that was something really he had endeared himself to the Tampa community like crazy between um he would help organize an entire D-line Christmas event then he would also do his own separate McCoy family Christmas event just giving so many toys food things of nature to kids and, and people around this area and he always would take the younger players under his wing and be he's you know the first one out on the practice field the last one off of it in training camp he would carry other people's pads which is normally a thing that rookies are forced to do but even after he'd been in the league you know eight years he was still you know the one offering to carry everybody's pads and um he's always got a, a huge smile on his face he is mr personality that um he's talked a little bit about maybe even wanting a career in acting after this is all over and he absolutely could do that i mean he's just full of personality full of love for the community, full of love for his teammates, wants to take the young guys along with him. It's it's really, he's just an incredible addition to any team. Yeah, I think for a team that, you know, is losing Travis Frederick to retirement, you know, they kind of lose that that guy in the locker room. And I think Gerald McCoy can be a guy who could step up in, the, in that way and, and be a true team leader, like you said, set a good example and obviously help the young guys along, which – you know, is is always a plus with um, anytime you bring in a new guy, and it's going to be di- interesting to see how they kind of gel with the rest of the guys. But it just seems like he has the personality that it, that don't that wouldn't be an issue. Right, I completely agree with that. Yeah, he he will be a perfect 
person to kind of fill the void left by some of those other veteran guys. Yeah. Okay. So, Casey, before I let you go, we got the NFL draft coming up in a little over a week. What are your plans for the NFL draft? Uh, well, we are actually going to try to do sort of a virtual draft party. I think that's something a few different teams across the league are trying to do because, you know, normally we host a huge draft party that is at our stadium, mm-hmm. and I'm normally the host of that. So we have games for fans to play out on the field, and we run a lot of our content up on the video boards, and we sort of do a live show on the video boards, me along with our writer and, and some of the other pre-produced content we have that leads up to the draft itself, and then I normally go and interview our, our GM right after the pick is made and then hop on our local radio to talk about the picks. But, um, yeah, so we're going to try to do essentially a virtual draft party on our Facebook where everyone can be watching the same show that we would have done in stadium, just putting it on our Facebook page. And hopefully fans are going to be able to get asked um, to ask some questions of me and our writer. And we're hoping to be able to get some maybe their players or other staff members to be able to hop on with us that people could ask questions too. There's still a lot up in the air, of course, in terms of the technology and what all we'll be able to do. Um, the yeah, so is just one more of the things that is going to be a, a new and exciting way to try to get, you know, content out there and build excitement during a time when our normal plans aren't possible. Yeah. But the best, I think the best part about it is there's a little sense of normalcy now, you know, with the, with the NFL draft coming up. So, you know, as as we all know, sports was taken away from us, but this is the first opportunity I think that we actually get to have some of that normalcy with, you know, finding out how it's going to fall and which players are going to go and, you know, your favorite players or are they going to come to your team? And, you know, so I think it's a little bit of getting some of our normal life back in a time where we could probably use a little normal. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that um, that has been the really nice thing for NFL fans during all this is that it hasn't really affected so far, you know, the, the normal viewing part of, of football that, and there's still been football news going on. Whereas, you know, if you're a baseball fan, you had to miss open, you know, opening day and, and all those other things, you know, the NBA and, and the lack of the, you know, entering into the playoffs soon. But with NFL, we still had all this fun free agency news. I mean, this was a free agency season for the, for the years, for the, for the books. And um, you've still gotten to have all the predictions leading up to the draft. So I think that's been really nice to have just a little sense of normalcy when you're watching, you know, ESPN or NFL Network or something that they're still talking about the same things they would be talking about anyways when it comes to the NFL. That absolutely is a fact. You know, since now that we have this, we can have a little fun with it. Casey, I appreciate you hopping on. If you don't already, follow Casey on Twitter at Casey Reporting. Check out her work for the Tampa Bay Bucks. Even if you're not a fan, she does great work. I've always enjoyed your content. Uh, Casey, thanks for jumping on, and uh, we'll talk soon. Awesome. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. No problem. All right, welcome to the Third Down Conversion Podcast. I'm joined now by my good buddy, Mr. Cole Thompson. You can follow him on Twitter, at Mr. Cole Thompson. Uh, Cole, what's, uh, what's been going on, buddy? You uh, getting all jazzed up for the NFL draft? Yeah, hey, Pat, what's going on, man? Of course I am. I mean, it's a big-time event, and this is going to be different than any other draft that we've seen in the past because of not only will this have the most draft entries that will be in the virtual green room, this draft is all online. It's all going to be done in a certain fashion that's never been done before. And more importantly, this is going to possibly cause some conversations of how drafts are done in the future. Uh, Maybe this could be used as a stepping stone for what comes next with COVID-19. 
all those little things kind of take control with this upcoming draft and how we view sports, mainly because of this is the guinea pig of Zoom conferences, meetings with, with teams, all those things kind of coming together. And it could be something that you start seeing just for the NFL to save money. Well, yeah, there there is that. I mean, I don't think the NFL really needs to save money. I mean, as much money as they make, but uh, I get I get what you're saying. I understand that completely. Um, but before we dive too much into that, dude, are you sick and tired of being stuck in the house yet? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, luckily for me, I get to go get my daily exercise. I go run, but I stay six feet away from everybody. It's more so just the fact of I love working at coffee shops. I enjoy going to after you know doing a big long piece going out to a bar and getting a beer those little things that you don't really appreciate then you start to appreciate a little bit more because of you are stuck inside a remote location even if you are able to get out and enjoy the breeze it's not the same because if you're still kind of in a locked box of areas where you can and cannot go so i'm just ready for more so to have some normal feed back into my life yeah well, the NFL draft will provide some of that normalcy. Uh, before we get into that, I want to talk about something that me and you have talked about in the past, and that's covering a football team or team in general that you don't have an allegiance to. And I know with you're doing the the Locked On Aggies, and, and so how different has it been for you covering a team that you didn't really have an allegiance to uh, in terms of how you go how you go into it each and every day? Well, I think the biggest thing that you have to learn when you're going into beat reporting in general is it is a job. And while you do need to have some fandom, if you aren't on the beat as an alumnus or something like that, you're going to have your opinion of things. And sometimes people are not going to appreciate it that way. That's something that I've done with Texas A&M. I went to Alabama. I covered Alabama for two years during my time as a student and then one year uh, for a newspaper right after I graduated. So I had my allegiance. My my writing was a little bit more, I think, fanny in the sense of I was able to reach out to people and people enjoyed the work more so because of it was an Alabama alum talking about Alabama. This side of the factor, you kind of go in with a blank slate and you make up your own stories of how you want it to go. You want to give positive press to a team, but you're also not afraid to write some harsh and critical moments that maybe some other fan bases wouldn't enjoy because if you are further away from the situation, you don't view it as a sense of this is what I think is going right. This is what I actually believe. You go in looking for the truth of the story. And that's the biggest thing that I think when you go into this field of journalism in general, you're writing to tell the right story. And when you do it from a fan's perspective, the truth sometimes hurts. When you go in as someone who's never been affiliated with the school, no one who's ever been affiliated with the program, you kind of get that ability to just say what is actually the facts, and you don't really care about what's going on. So for instance, I thought that Buzz Williams was always going to be the right hire. I think year three is a prove-it year for Jimbo Fisher. I actually believe that if Jimbo Fisher is not getting a 10-2 and season this year, that next year, 2021, should be on a harsher, more stricter, if he does not produce that year, fireable offense. You don't sign a guy for $70 million for you to be a 7-5 team. So all those things, when I say it, it's more of a fact. When a fan says it, 
they're either frustrated with the team or when a reporter who's close to the organization says it, they're probably trying to say or cover up, oh, Jimbo's fine or something along the lines of that. I'm more so of a, I'm going to just say it like it is. And those are things that I've learned reporting for A&M this past year. Yeah, I think I'm in a similar situation. Obviously, I grew up in Lubbock, Texas. Um, you know, my following has always been Texas Tech. Um, you know, so when I was given the opportunity to really do um, to cover Texas, you know, it was a little different for me because now I'm I'm going into this going, okay, uh, Tom Herman, right? And everybody wants to talk about, you know, is is this his final year? I think it's a prove it year for Tom Herman, honestly. Um, you know, and it's a similar thing. I don't have the allegiance and I don't have a problem being critical of the school. Um, you know, in recent weeks, I was real critical of of the how Shaka Smart is staying on at the University of Texas, you know, and they moved on from Karen Aston, even though Karen Aston has had more skins on the wall than Shaka at the University of Texas, you know, so I was critical of that. And I don't have a problem doing that. I guess mainly because, like you said, we don't have allegiances. We don't have ties to the universities. So we can say what we actually feel. Yeah, I give you that, too. But also, I think the difference between someone who also works for the school or went to the school versus someone who did it is they will try to recognize just stating facts. That's something that I've really kind of looked into. It's just a fact statement kind of checker. You don't go in you know, kind of with an attitude, oh, here we go again, we have another year with Shaka, or, oh boy, guess what, Jimbo Fisher's still that hire. When you have reporters who work along those sides of the field, they'll probably throw a quick pro quo in there, mainly because they are still a fan-oriented based kind of person. For me, someone like Alabama, I look at, you know, when Tua Tungabailoa gets hurt, I, I go right to, you know, the worst feeling in the world. Oh, yeah, he's done. Uh, we're not going to the national championship. You can call this season a loss, all those things. But anyone who's not, you know, located near the situation, uh, from a fan's perspective, they'll just report, this is what we know, this is what's going on, this is what we will keep you updated with. So it's a little more, I would say, fact-based when you do cover a team that you have no affiliation to versus a little bit of fandom that still comes out. Yeah, yeah, I get that as well. I do get that, and I understand that completely. And and like I said, you know, like if, like you said, if, if something happens like, oh, no, another year of Shaka, you know, then it's like, okay, well, Shaka's done this. Uh, what can he do to prove, you know, that he belongs? And, you know, we'll, and I'll probably get more into that, you know, as the season progresses and as, College basketball kicks up again. Um, you know, it's going to be a lot of fun there. But let's get back to the NFL draft. I know it's a time that me and you both love. Um, kind of want to talk a little bit. How many quarterbacks do you think are going to go in the first round? I mean, we both know quarterbacks are criminally overdrafted anyway. But how many quarterbacks do you see going in that first round this year? I know four. I think all four of the top four names will be drafted in the first round. You may have a Lamar Jackson situation where Jordan Love begins to fall or Justin Herbert begins to fall. And it looks like maybe they're out of round one and a team jumps back in and grabs them before a team who probably needs a quarterback, say the Indianapolis Colts with pick 34, would be able to select him, limiting their processes. But we all know Joe Burrow is going to go top 10. After that, it's kind of a tricky situation because it's really – I've spoken to several people in both Miami and in Los Angeles. 
they're both very sold on Justin Herbert. That is actually more so the pick. So I think with Miami, they will stay put at number five. And if so, they will draft Justin Herbert. But Los Angeles will have to jump up in order to secure the Oregon Duck product, probably into that number four spot, maybe trade away a second, uh, a second round, maybe a third round and a 2021 fifth round selection, something like that to move up two spots. The way I look at it, it's a lot like how you look at what the Bears did to jump up to grab Mitchell Trubisky in 2017. Uh, that's going to be the case, I think, for Herbert. I don't see Tua falling past Las Vegas at number 12. If he's available, it's one of those things where it may not be a pressing need, but this is a generational quarterback when healthy and a left-hander, which pretty much secures somewhat of, a, I think, a longer career because if you know what you're working with and it's harder to replace those type of guys. So I see him going at number 12 if he does fall. As for Love, I've actually heard a couple reports coming out that the Green Bay Packers and Atlanta Falcons really love this kid. And I would not be shocked to see that to see Green Bay draft Aaron Rodgers' successor at pick number 30 or the Atlanta Falcons move back in, kind of like they did last year, and get Matt Ryan's replacement. He's going to be a $40 million cap casualty next year. And if the team is going to rebuild, they're going to have to cut some ties to some players. And Matt Ryan's contract, I think, will make him the very first cut if they go get a guy like what? Yeah. You know, that'd be, that'd be interesting. It's, you know, funny that you bring up Green Bay taking him. Obviously, they chose Aaron Rodgers at, what was it, pick 24 uh, when he yeah, came out? Like, yeah, pick 24. So it'd just be interesting they could get a, a later round pick to find their future heir. I know a lot of people like Love, and, you know, he was a guy that I thought was going to be a top 15 pick. Uh, Indianapolis was obviously a spot, and then they tra- traded away their first-round pick to to secure the Force Buckner. So, you know, that kind of marked him off there. Do you see a situation where we have three quarterbacks in the top, you know, five or six picks where, you know, Cincinnati and Joe Burrow seem like a, a done deal. I, I don't think they go any other way. Uh, maybe L.A., like you said, jumps into jumps ahead of Miami, takes Herbert there, and then uh, Tua Tagovailoa falls right there to number five at Miami. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's what I kind of predict. I do think that this will be kind of the move that you see. Either of you will have, I think, picks. You will have either three quarterbacks taken in the top five, and that will be because Los Angeles jumps over Miami to go grab Herbert, which then Miami will settle for Tua which, again, settling is kind of a joke when this really is a great quarterback that you really want to have on your roster. So that's kind of my prediction for this right now. I do believe that if they don't jump him and the Giants stay at four, Los Angeles is going to go in a different direction, which will begin the two with tumble. I do think that if Los Angeles stays at six and they miss out on Herbert, they will, excuse me, they will go draft a left tackle in the future, or they will take Isaiah Simmons out of uh, Clemson if he's still on the board. They could even go and trade away the pick now that they don't have their top guy. Maybe go grab some extra draft collateral and let someone trade up to go get maybe a player like Jeffrey Okuda if he starts to fall or another uh, or defensive tackle like Javon Kinlar or Auburn. I just don't see Los Angeles taking a quarterback at six. So they're going to have to move up in order to go take a quarterback. You know, let's just say that that happens. They jump. Miami grabs Tua Tagovailoa. What what do you think that does to the psyche of Josh Rosen, who was once thought of as a top-tier quarterback? And it's just like ever since his trade, 
to Miami and then having to be behind, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick. I mean, what does that do for him? Honestly, his career is kind of done, in my opinion. And and it stinks because you don't really know what you're going to have. I mean, I look at the past lines of what I've seen from, you know, quarterbacks who haven't really gotten a chance. And the one that comes to mind immediately is Paxton Lynch. I didn't think he was a first-round pick, but I did think he could be a serviceable uh, starting quarterback in the NFL. But they never really gave him a shot. He only played four games his first year. They gave him four games his second year and then just kind of booted him to the side. Similar situation with Rosen. Taken with the 10th overall pick, a, a pick that was traded up for, by the way, to become the franchise quarterback of the Arizona Cardinals. Horrendous offensive line, sacked 52 times. Then you go get an air raid-style coach in Cliff Kingsbury. So that kind of takes him out of the market. You trade a second-round pick, which is still a pretty valuable pick for Miami at that point, to go draft Rosen as the future. But then new management comes in and says, we want to tank, we want to be the worst team possible, and we might think that this kid can actually make us better than what we want to be. So you're benched. Rosen, to me, is a lost cause at this point. And I think a team like the New England Patriots trading maybe a sixth or seventh round pick for him would be beneficial. I think maybe that would salvage his career. Maybe Pittsburgh trades away a six-round pick for him, brings him in as the backup behind Big Ben. But besides that, I, I can't see Rosen in any role any more than just a career backup in a very similar situation to what Lynch is, maybe even not even on a roster two or three years from now. Uh, that's That's tough, you know, for a kid that, you know, during his time at UCLA and then obviously early on in the NFL, you know, we thought, you know, maybe this kid had a future and then now it's just kind of, like you said, feels like it's done. Uh, So let's, let's change gears. I want to get your mindset. Dallas Cowboys select at 17. Who, if, if you're making the call, who are you hoping is still there at 17 for Dallas before you look to bail out? Do I have to stay at 17? Because I would just bail out immediately. You just bail right out? Now I would bail out. Okay. I would bail out. I mean, honestly, because here's, here's the main thing. They need a center now. That is their pressing need. I know cornerback is a, is a big need, but if you could possibly move back into the later round of the first round and add maybe a second-round pick, you're going to have a cornerback, such as I think Utah's Jalen Johnson or Auburn's Noah Ingabahe, available at that second round pick and you'll have two to make now but your main need is center with Travis Frederick gone so Caesar Ruiz would make a ton of sense but not at 17. I believe personally that is what Dallas is going to do especially if their top cornerback pick which what I've been told is CJ Henderson is off the board and I've heard a lot today from some people and the biggest thing I've heard is CJ Henderson is going to be a top 10 pick and don't don't worry, if Carolina is still on the board, they are actually in love with him and actually like him a little bit better than Jeffrey Okuda. I expect him to be gone. So Dallas has to move out at this point. They don't need a pass rusher that that bad. They don't need a cornerback uh, as bad as I think they need an, an offensive line. If you want to have success with Dak Prescott and you want him to come back and sign that franchise tag deal, you have to have the best offensive line possible. And without Frederick there, you're not getting, I think, Prescott back until you get a long-term deal in place. I, I think that center, to me, is one of those things where um, I know the team likes Connor McGovern, and he spent time at Penn State. Now, the question is, can he stay healthy? Uh, but I think, I, I mean, I think you're right. I think bailing is probably the best possible solution. 
But uh, would you pass up if one of the top three wide receivers happens to fall in your lap at 17? I mean, no, I would not pass that up, but I just don't see it happening, especially because right. of that run from 11 through 15. But if so, C.D. Lamb, I think, would be a great fit overall. I think actually more so than Jerry Judy or Henry Ruggs would be. Uh, I, I think that if you settled with Ruggs, which, again, it's not really settling. It's just what you prefer. I do believe he would be an excellent fit to the slot side. Jerry Judy's one I'm not sold on, but I do believe that he will be probably either the first or second wide receiver taken. But if William or Ruggs wants to fall, I definitely would be in consideration of taking yeah, because, you know, when I look at it and, you know, I've talked to several people and and to me, I think people are underestimating how big of a need wide receiver is for the Dallas Cowboys. When you look at you have Amari Cooper and you have Michael Gallup, who Michael Gallup is one of these these young rising superstars, uh, had a great season last year, um, you know, very, especially considering he was a third round pick. I think he had tremendous production. So if you look at the Cowboys wide receiver group I don't see a third starting wide receiver beyond Cooper and Gallup and I think that that makes it a much bigger need than people want to admit yeah there is a need for a third wide receiver but the thing is you're in a draft class that has literally starting caliber wide receivers still available on day three unless you are I think a team like the Denver Broncos who are in desperate need of a wide receiver I'm not sold that you need to trade up and give away picks that really matter when you can still get a serviceable guy in rounds two and three. I think a guy like Van Jefferson would be an excellent fit down in Dallas. I think um, even, a, even a kid from Liberty, Antonio Golden uh, Gladney, as your flanker position and you move Cooper inside would be another excellent fit and an excellent starting role. Courtney Davis on Texas A&M would fit the slot very well in a similar role of what Randall Cobb did last year. There's just not enough for me right now outside those top three, and there's not enough of pressing needs that have been filled in Dallas to where you take a wide receiver in the first round. Oh no! If if it was one of the top three, yes. Outside of that, no. I'm I'm I am perfectly fine with second round pick, third round pick, fourth round pick. Um, you know, I, I personally like a guy like. Uh, you want to talk about your outside receiver? I like a guy like Colin Johnson out of Texas. I think, you know, allows, you know, the flexibility of moving Gallup and, and Amari Cooper around. But, yeah, I think there's more pressing needs. I think Dallas need, still needs to find safety help. They need cornerback, um, you know, and, and possibly linebacker, depending on how they feel about Leighton Van Der Esch's neck. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of defensive needs, I think, that you could address if you stay at 17. The problem is, where do you go? Because Clavion Chase on LSU is one that a lot of people are talking about being a perfect fit there. My problem is his numbers don't add up, and he's more of what Jadavian Clowney is in a reverse form. He's not going to help out in the run game at all. He's not going to help out securing the edge, but he will get in the backfield and make a ton of sacks for you. So if you're okay with that type of player, go ahead and draft him. I do think that if they were to go get a linebacker, Kenneth Murray out of Oklahoma would be an excellent addition. I think that he would fill that outside linebacker need in the in the three uh, four three system. I definitely think that he would also be a great replacement for Sean Lee when he retires. But that's really the only linebacker pick I think would make a ton of sense at seventeen. And again, if you overdraft a cornerback, people are going to have a little bit of problems with it. And there's a ton of great corners in round two to where maybe you move some picks to go get a guy like Johnson or Ingamahe. 
Yeah, I, I definitely, I am right there with you, buddy. And I, you know, I, I people want to bring up Zach Bond. I'm not a huge Bond fan, so I'm. I honestly don't have linebacker on my top needs in the first round. So I definitely would look around and look at some other spots, like you said, cornerback if it's there. But, um, you know, as we get closer and closer to the draft, I just feel like it's going to be a bail option. I think it has to be, mainly because if you probably want Caesar Ruiz, but taking him at 17 in an offensive line class that is strong at the tackle position, but interior, it's not as much neutral, or I think it would be not as, you know, plausible to draft at 17 like a Garrett Bradbury was last year in the top 20. I think it's a trade back. It makes a lot of sense for the fan base. And, heck, a lot of fans were super upset when Travis Frederick was the pick, and he turned out to be probably the best offensive lineman in the last three seasons. Yeah, yeah, uh, present company included. I wasn't uh, – I wasn't. it wasn't that I wasn't thrilled with the acquisition of Travis Frederick. It's where they selected him because I thought he was a second- or third-round pick. But – Showed you what I know. Turned out to be an all-pro and one of the best centers at, in the league for a good period of time. Hey, Cole, I appreciate you hopping on today. Uh, follow Cole at Mr. Cole Thompson on Twitter. Check out his show, Locked on Aggies. Um, and then check out any all the work that you're doing. You're at uh, Pro Football Network, correct? Lead writer, Pro Football Network, covering all things All right, buddy. All right, we'll talk to you soon. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Pat.